0: Beloved, I am your interim pastor, Mike Sherrod. It's such a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. And if you're visiting Trinity today, on behalf of this very special church family, welcome. We are delighted that you're here. We're pressing on in our series in Advent, Awaiting the Shepherd. We'll be looking this morning at Luke 2, 8 to 20. You can find that in your Bible, in the Gospel of Luke. It's also provided for you in your bulletin, as well as a little outline that I'll be moving through the text. Let's give our hearts absolute, resolute attention to God's Word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, As it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. When celebrities, politicians, athletes want to go public with some significant announcement, who do they invite to the event? All the most famous media. Come on, CBS Sports, CNN, The New York Times, Fox News, whatever. All the media come, because in our culture, when we roll out important events, we do it with flair and with fanfare. When God announced the birth of his son, who did he invite? The outcasts. The lowly. The despicable huddled in an obscure place. We tend to think of the story of the shepherds as sweet and quaint. But you may not realize that in Jesus' time, shepherds were a despised class of society. They were considered worse than tax collectors. They were outsiders, lowlifes, worse than the dung sweepers in the city. Now, it wasn't always that way. 2,000 years earlier, in the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, shepherding was a noble occupation. Most people were shepherds. But there seems to be evidence that the Egyptians' disdain for shepherding as a profession rubbed off on Israel when they were in captivity, such that it became a very despised occupation. Yeah, a slight rise during the time of David, the shepherd who became king, But by the time of Jesus, rabbis had banned shepherding in the cities and suburbs except way out in the fields. They did not have rights like normal citizens. And they were labeled sinners, despised. And yet, to them, God says, I bring you good news of a Savior who is being born. For today in the city of David, there's born... For you, Christ the Messiah. So when God announces the most spectacular event in the history of the world, the coming of a son, he does so through nobodies, the lowly, the outcast, the unworthy, not the religiously important, the philosophers, the power brokers, the priests, the kings, no. To these lowly shepherds. So I want to ask three questions about this event. Number one, how does God make this announcement? In a most spectacular fashion. Look at verse 9. The glory of the Lord shone around them. It's hard to imagine this because in our lifetime, we've never, most of us, never seen anything comparable. And what is their response? They were terrified. I guess so. When you read through your Bible and you find people who have encounters with the glory of God, they are terrified. This biblical idea of glory is the idea of weightiness. So there's a sense that when the presence of God comes, you're you're undone, you're overwhelmed, you want to fall on your face. So no wonder on the Mount of Transfiguration. When those several apostles beheld the glory of Jesus, the veil of, of his humanity is pulled away, his face is shining like the sun, what do they do? They fall on their faces. Same for the apostle John in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus appears to him in his glory. He falls on his face as a dead man. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Actually, no. No. You were built for the presence of God. You were designed by God from the beginning to relish, savor, and glory in God's presence. But since Adam and Eve chose to treat God as an outcast and they were banished from paradise... Because of the presence of sin, now when human beings experience the glory of God, there is this terror, this fear, this being undone. Now, if that weren't enough, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So in the first instance, the glory of God invades their space. In the second instance, they are allowed to gaze into the space where that glory is. The veil, as it were, the curtain between the physical world and the unseen spiritual world is pulled away. And what do they see? Exactly what you'd expect. The angels of God declaring God's worth Glory, glory, glory. It's actually what has been happening since the beginning of time. Those in the presence of God can't not declare his glory. And of course, they're doing so without sin. That's the response God deserves. He's worthy of that glory. Do you see how this incident speaks to you of the grace of God? The grace of God. God has broken into their world. He is pursuing the shepherds. He has initiated this conversation. He is seeking them. If if you had to answer the question, what is God's most deepest passion for me right now, what is it? It's that you would see his glory because God wants you supremely happy and supremely holy, and the only way they can come about is you beholding the glory of God. Think about what melts away in the, in the presence of the glory of God: your pride, your arrogance, your self-sufficiency, your self-determination, your self-absorption. Oh my goodness, in the presence of the glory of God, that stuff is gone. God wants you to see his glory. We're so certain that when the Apostle John wrote about the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world, he says of Jesus, we beheld his glory. God has sent you Jesus. So there's no doubt in your mind what the glory of God is like in a human person. So some of you are at a point in your life where you're thinking about seeking God. You're beginning to ask questions. You're wondering what God is like. I would bet he's pursuing you. Some of you would say, you know, Mike, consciously, I'm not seeking God. Happen to be here. We're grateful you're here. But I'm not consciously seeking God. Let me propose a couple ways it's possible God is nonetheless revealing himself to you. You like to make things beautiful. Maybe it's decorate your home, paint, create a beautiful piece of music. You like to make things beautiful. God says to you, so do I. Some of you read about the poor. You drive through destitute parts of the city, countryside, and your heart breaks for the poor. God says to you, so does mine. Some of you love to build things. You have built businesses. You're in training as an engineer because you can't wait to build something. God says to you, so do I. Some of you want people to get along. Conflict, strife, it just deeply burdens you. God says, me too. Some of you are irate at injustice. You find when people are not treated the way the law or human decency requires, you find it intolerable, God says. Say it with me. So do I. Everyone in this room, beloved, God is revealing himself to you because he wants you to experience his glory. Second question. Why does God do it this way? He 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 invites to the birthday party the outcasts, the despised, the lowly. It's not how I would have done it. So what's the shepherd's first reaction? Fear. It's terrifying without an explanation. See, this is not a cuddly Santa Claus at the mall. But what is the reason the glory does not overwhelm them, undo them ultimately? It's the good news. It's verse 11. A Savior has been born for you. Peace is coming to you. God has come near in Christ to deliver us from our fears. Because look, all things being equal. Should you fear God? Should you fear death? Should you fear the final judgment? Answer? Absolutely, especially without a Savior, a Redeemer, a Mediator, a Proxy, someone to stand with you, shelter you, shield you, hide you on the Day of Judgment. The good news is Jesus has come for that, for you, and for me. Do you see, do you identify with the shepherds? God is telling you, we're all like the shepherds. We're all outcasts. It's been that way since the garden, when Adam and Eve treated God like an outcast. So now now you know a new way to think about sin. Sin is, you just want to go out in the field and mind your own business, and you have this conscious or unconscious bargain with God, stay out of my space, and I'll stay out of yours. Sin. I prefer self-determination, thank you very much, even though I didn't make myself. I'll live by my own rules, thank you very much, even though I am no expert (laughs) in what constitutes human moral glory. Sin, beloved, is being dull to your need of God's grace, living as if God is irrelevant, serving yourself, thinking, I can experience human value and worth and significance irrespective of the glory of God pulsating through my being. That, beloved, is insanity. It is the height of arrogance. And that's all of us until the glory shines. And that's why the announcement is what? A Savior has been born for you, you outcasts. And God is saying, I want peace with you. This is, this is the ultimate truce. This is the ultimate armistice. This is the ult- God is looking at the warfare that exists on earth, not between nations. And that's going to happen until the end of time, until every heart knows Jesus Christ. But he's looking at our enmity with God, and he's saying, oh, that's intolerable. I want us at peace. So he takes this unbelievable initiative, sending his his son to be born as a baby, to grow into our Savior. God wants your utmost well-being. He wants you delighting in him. And that means his glory must come in through the power of the Savior. Last question. What is the evidence you understand the significance of this event? Follow the shepherds. What did they do? They went with haste to find Jesus. Don't delay for a moment. You're going to find Jesus because the shepherds know what you and I need to know. And that is this deep stain in our souls that is created by sin. This deep stain, it cannot come out by being religious. You cannot remove it by sincerely trying your best. You cannot remove the stain of sin by keeping the rules. None of those things will cleanse you. What saved the shepherds? They believed the word of promise. They took God at his word. God said, there's a savior, go find him. In faith they went, believing what? That everything they need jesus would give them everything they lacked jesus christ would amply supply by his grace this is why the message is peace on earth with whom god is pleased so who are the people god is pleased with those who trust the son it absolutely pleases the father that you received his gift Many of you are going to give gifts to other people in the next three weeks. And it is going to please your soul to see them receive the gift and delight in the gift. Right? This is sort of human gift giving 101. How much more your creator God giving you his son Wanting you to be pleased with everything Jesus Christ is for you. Your righteousness, your sacrifice, your resurrection. And when you trust that, the Father says, Oh, that pleases me. And his favor is sealed upon you by his grace. So Jesus becomes what on the cross? He becomes the outcast that the shepherds were. He becomes the lowly. He becomes the despised. He bears the shame in your place for your crimes. Why? He loves you. This is the only way for you to have any peace in your lives. Not least, peace with God. So, beloved, run from your fears to Jesus crucified for you. I'm going to take a couple minutes with a little bit of application. It seems in 1 Peter, I've given you the verse in the outline, 1 Peter 2.25, Peter seems to be giving us a one-sentence summary of this scenario, and it's this. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Jesus of course is the good shepherd. Ironically, he's the only shepherd who protects and saves and delivers his sheep by dying for them. He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. So here you are straying like a lost sheep. There's a picture of helplessness. You are subjecting yourself to harm. So if you are facing the world, the devil and the flesh without Jesus, you are in such danger. Such danger your soul is. Grace chases you down. Grace finds the lost sheep. Grace brings that sheep into the bosom of Jesus who will never let you go. Who will hold you from, I know my sheep, I call them by name, and nothing will snatch them out of my hands. And Jesus promises to shepherd you, lead you beside still waters, make you lie down in green pastures, Etc. But notice that Peter also calls Jesus what? Uh, the ESV says guardian. It's the Greek word, episkopos, from which we get bishop and overseer. So, Carlton and me and Ken and David and Craig and uh, Mike and others, we are called in this church to be episcopos as well as praisebuteros. Uh, we're, we're elders, buteros. We're also episcopuses which means overseer or bishop. Those words are used interchangeably. Jesus is also your episkopos. It's a great Greek word because it's a compound and it's so clear. Epi always functions when it's a prefix before a word to intensify it. So skapos means to look at. Skapos, look at. Episkapos, to look at carefully, to look at closely. That's the job of your elders in love and concern for your spiritual welfare, take close looks at your life. And this is what Jesus is for you. So beloved, Jesus Christ has sought you the straying sheep. He's brought you to himself and among other things for the purpose of, by his spirit, taking a close look At your heart. Because he loves you. Because to the degree you are living for any inferior love, any inferior glory, anything you think would ultimately become the absolute thing you must have, if that thing is not Jesus, that thing is hurting you. And if it's hurting you, it is hurting your relationships around you. So Jesus comes in and says, let me take a look, a close look in your heart. How about your pride, Mike? How about this pocket of unbelief? What's underneath that? Mike, what about this part of you that's so self-sufficient, that's self-promoting? Let's look at that. Let's look at that, Jesus, in compassion and love and understanding. There is not an ounce of condemnation in this. When Jesus comes in as your episcopus, he comes in with nail scars in his hands. All the debt of sin is paid. You're safe. We're doing this to make you more like me. We're doing this so you can enjoy my glory. You cannot settle for inferior glories. He loves you. He needs to episcopus your heart every day by his word, by people who know you well. Maybe you need to seek out someone on the women's council an elder, a deacon, a friend. Oh, beloved, you can't do this without Jesus as your episkopos. I think that's where this text goes. Maybe that's what the shepherds did. We are no longer outcasts. The God of the universe announced his birthday party to us. (laughs) Oh, pride. (laughs) So let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you long to show us your glory. You long that our hearts would love you more than anything else and trust you more than anything else. And we know in our hearts there are false securities, false lovers, false gods. Thank you that you find them intolerable, Thank you that your word shows us what those are. Thank you that you are so jealous to come in in gentleness and in humility and in patience and in understanding and episcopic our hearts into places of greater vitality and greater life to you, Jesus. Be the glory. Care for my brothers and sisters this day. This week, in Jesus' name, amen.